everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing okay. Something strange happened to my hair the other day. And that something was me. See, I've been cutting my own hair for the past, I don't know, 20 years or so, something like that. And I've never gotten good at it. But what I generally do is, I don't know, three or four times a year, I just uh, put a guard on a set of clippers and buzz all my hair off, then wait for it to grow back. That way, I can convince myself throughout the course of the year, well, once it grows in a little bit more, it'll start looking good. And it never really does. It's a bad system, and it doesn't work, but what can I do about it? I'm just one man. Anyway, this week there was a slight variation in the system. See, the first step in the process, which I forgot to mention before, is I just kind of go multi-ball at my head with a pair of scissors and cut off as much hair as I can so that there's less work for the clippers to do. Well, I did that stage, and then I went to use my clippers, and they didn't work anymore. So I looked like a goddamn maniac. Eventually, I figured out that my clippers just needed to charge up for a while, and then they started working again, which was great. But in the meantime, I may have amused myself by partaking of a substance, which is totally legal in Oregon. And then when I went to give myself a haircut, I maybe decided, oh, you know what would look cool? If I cut some racing stripes into the side of my head. So I did that. Anyway, my point is, I am a smart man who makes very good decisions, and also, I am now very fast. Now, we've got a comic book to talk about, so without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Mark Paglia. The reason for Joey cutting his mutton chops is, all the titans now want to make it big in showbiz. Joey's in a chorus line, Starfire's filming pop hits, read it in variety, or listen to Hub's synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Mark. New Titans, number 58, September 1989. Controls. Written by Marf Wolfman and George Perez. Drawed by George Perez and Tom Grummet. Inked by Bob McLeod. Lettered by John Costanza. Colored by Adrienne Roy. Edited by Jonathan Peterson and Mike Carlin. New Titan Roll Call. Cyborg. Troya. Starfire. Raven, Jericho, Nightwing, Bumblebee, and... Oh, shit. Danny fucking Chase. Boo! Previously in New Titans. An indeterminate but seemingly significant amount of comic book time ago, our titular Titans ran afoul of an insidious ungulate enthusiast who called himself Wildebeest. 
when he wasn't disguising himself as a CEO, a hippie IT support technician, or a chain-smoking obstetrician, Wildebeest wore a high-tech GNU costume. Intimidating. Over the course of several inconclusive story arcs, this antelope-adjacent asshole terrorized the Titans with a series of unnecessarily complicated schemes. Each time, our heroes defeated Wildebeest, but each time he escaped and implied that his defeat was all part of a larger, even more unnecessarily complicated scheme. In more recent Titan news, the gang went into space to help Donna Troy, aka Troya, FKA Wonder Girl, get a new origin, costume, codename, and ill-defined power set. When they returned to Earth, Nightwing, aka Dick Grayson, learned that while they were gone, the Joker had killed young Jason Todd, Dick Grayson's successor as Robin. Bummer! Dick was devastated and tried to talk to his mentor, Bruce Wayne, aka Batman, about what happened, but Bruce was being a real prick about it. It was almost as though for some reason he felt guilty that the young teen he had encouraged to put on a pair of speedos and a cape to fight costumed serial killers had been killed by a costumed serial killer. Weird. Things seemed pretty grim, but on the bright side of Titan news, Gar Logan, aka Beast Boy, was on enforced hiatus from the team until he got his shit together. So presumably, forever. Even better, Dick finally kicked precocious late-season cast edition Danny fucking Chase off of the Titans for being an obnoxious sociopathic dipshit. Hooray! With that long-overdue bit of business out of the way, Dick headed to Gotham to have a little chat with his Bat-Dad. While he was gone, Wildebeest returned and launched individual attacks on Jericho and Starfire. The antlered ambusher defeated each hero with relative ease, but in both cases, rather than finishing off his incapacitated foe, Wildebeest had instead bellowed out in pain and fled. Hmm. Raven went to Cyborg's apartment to warn him of Wildebeest's return and found that the place was trashed and Victor was nowhere to be found. Then Wildebeest leapt out and beat up Raven. Then he yelled and ran away. After the defeated heroes recovered from these surprise attacks, they gathered at the Titan Tower to compare notes. But their meeting was barely underway when Wildebeest Kool-Aid manned his way through the wall of the T-shaped skyscraper and attacked the Titans yet again. This time, though, the hoof-having hoodlum was outnumbered. Raven managed to cocoon Wildebeest up in her bird-shaped soul tummy and use her magical nonsense powers to knock him out. The gang removed their unconscious assailants' horned masts and were shocked to find that the man who attacked them was... Cyborg? Gasp! Also, Jericho shaved off his mutton chops! Gadzooks! Why would Cyborg attack his former friends? What prompted Jericho to remove his signature facial hair? And if Danny fucking Chase got kicked off the team, then why did I just list him as appearing in this issue? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so Wildebeest put a remote control in his brain. He wanted to be in the chorus line of an off-Broadway play. And I suspect it is because I am being punished because God is jealous of my good looks, talent, and cool haircut. Real mature God. Victor Stone is nude and hanging out with his girlfriend-slash-physical therapist Sarah Charles, who is wearing a negligee. She starts to smooch his solar plexus, then they hug and make out for a little bit. Suddenly, 
The furniture in the apartment starts flying around, and Vic clutches his head and writhes in pain. He lashes out and shatters his bedroom mirror. Reflected in the shards, he sees images of his fellow titans. Cyborg awakens with a start to find that he is restrained, strapped down to a science table in the Titan Tower, and surrounded by his teammates. The head of the Wildebeest costume he was wearing last issue has been removed, but he's still wearing the rest of the outfit, including the goofy-ass hoof-like mittens. Vic asks where he is and what's going on. Donna is like, Well, it's kind of a long story, but... You dressed up as Wildebeest and attacked us, so we knocked you out and tied you up. Huh. I guess that wasn't such a long story after all. You don't remember any of that? Vic is like, Nope. Last thing I remember was hanging out with you guys a few days ago. I went home, and then the rest is blank until the sexy dream I had a few minutes ago. Starfire is like, Man, we need dick! Vic is like, It was just a dream! Starfire is like, No, I meant Dick Grayson. Your teammate? My boyfriend? You know, because he's a detective? Come on, guys, it's just a name. Grow up. Several minutes later, when the gang finally stops giggling, Raven is like, My mystical nonsense powers tell me that Vic was only attacking people who are officially on the Titans roster. He didn't attack Dick or Beast Boy because they're on leave right now. And he didn't attack Danny fucking Chase because he got booted off of the team a little while ago. Hooray! Donna is like, That's good to know. I bet the real wildebeest is somehow controlling Vic. The rest of the gang figures that sounds pretty plausible. Vic is relieved that no one was seriously injured by his attacks, but wishes he could remember what happened. Also, he has a splitting headache. Meanwhile, Dick is hanging out at stately Wayne Manor, staring pensively out the window. Batman isn't home right then, so Dick commiserates with Alfred about what an asshole Bruce has been lately. Donna radios in to see how he's doing. Dick is like, how I'm doing is shitty. How about you guys? Donna's like, also shitty. Dick is like, okay, well, see you later. Donna's like, sounds good. Back at the Titan Tower, Cyborg has taken the Wildebeest suit off, and the gang is taking a look at it. Vic finds a microchip transmitter inside the suit's helmet, and is about to start analyzing it to see if it can help him track down Wildebeest. But as soon as he begins this process, his eyes kind of blank out, and he starts smashing the shit out of the helmet and attacking his teammates again. Over Donna's objection that it is too dangerous and Raven's objection that it won't work, Joey uses his creepy powers to hop inside of Vic's body. Unfortunately, whatever is controlling Vic is more powerful than Jericho, and the young mutant ends up trapped inside his rampaging buddy, unable to alter his actions. Bummer. I wonder if this is like a Samson-type situation, and Joey is weaker now that he's shaved off his mutton chops. Yeah, that's probably it. Eventually, Raven manages to wrap Vic up in her bird-shaped soul tummy. After a few seconds, she lets him out, and Joey pops out of him. The only problem is, Victor is now comatose, and growing weaker every minute. The gang surmises that in addition to the transmitter in the helmet, Someone must have put some kind of a doohickey into Vic's brain as well. Raven suggests taking him to Star Labs for repairs, but Donna is like, No way! Those guys were the last people to operate on him. If anyone was fiddling with the hardware in Vic's noodle, it was probably those guys. 
Donna's got a pretty good point, but unfortunately, Star Labs are the only people with the know-how to straighten out Cyborg Cerebral Spaghetti. Fortunately, the Titans have a couple of pals at Star Labs West Coast branch that they're pretty sure they can trust. Raven teleports them all to the San Francisco office of Dr. Sarah Charles, who in addition to being Vic's girlfriend and physical therapist, is also the head of Star Labs West Coast operations. As they were traveling, Raven used her mystical nonsense powers to tell the former Titan and longtime Star Labs employee, Karen Beecher, aka Bumblebee, to head down to Sarah's office and meet them there. Meanwhile, in Washington, D.C., a stranger wearing the impenetrable disguise of a trench coat and fedora stands in the rain outside of the CBI's headquarters. The CBI is the DCU hybrid of the CIA and FBI. It is also the employer of Danny fucking Chase's parents and the former employer of Danny fucking Chase. Some security guards approach the totally inconspicuous stranger and ask him to show his security pass. Wordlessly, the stranger turns and runs. So, the security guards shoot him in the back like a hundred times. What the fuck, security guards? First of all, don't shoot anyone in the back as they're running away. And B, especially don't shoot a person in a trench coat and fedora. There's like a 50% chance that guy's Godzilla. And Godzilla hates getting shot. Most people do. Fortunately for the guards, the inconspicuous stranger isn't, in fact, Godzilla. In fact... It isn't anyone at all. The guards are shocked to discover that what they have just riddled with bullets is a mannequin. Oh shit, Andrew McCarthy is going to be so pissed at them. And so, to a lesser extent, will Meshach Taylor, who incidentally was excellent on designing women. But I digress. Partly because I like digressing, but mostly because I don't want to write the part that comes next. Because what was animating the mannequin was not the spirit of an ancient Egyptian woman that only Andrew McCarthy can see, but the telekinetic powers of, you guessed it, Danny fucking Chase. Boo! Danny fucking Chase uses the distraction of the mannequin murder to sneak inside the CBI headquarters and makes a beeline for the underground vault where they keep all their secret files. Back in San Francisco, Sarah and Karen run a diagnostic on Cyborg, and find that someone did indeed shove a weird gizmo into the robot part of his brain. Unfortunately, neither of them is sure how to remove it without killing Victor, and since they suspect at least one employee at Star Labs is either in cahoots with Wildebeest, or is Wildebeest in disguise, they aren't sure who they can trust enough to ask for help. Karen pokes around a bit on the computer, and finds that the file that identifies the last person to operate on Victor has been classified. She digs a bit deeper and learns that the person who did the classifying was Dr. Jonathan Brewster, a man that she trusts and has known for years. Starfire is like, well, it seems to me that we should probably murder this Dr. Brewster guy. Karen disagrees, but thinks that they should at least find Brewster and ask him a few questions. Back at CBI headquarters, Danny fucking Chase is pretty damn pleased with himself at how sneaky he is. He finds the file he was looking for and yoinks it, thinking to himself, I'm the best and everyone else is the worst because I'm Danny fucking Chase and I'm definitely not an obnoxious sociopathic little shit. Man, the head of the CBI, King Faraday, 
would be so pissed if he knew I snuck by him to steal this file, but he never will, because I am so much smarter than that stupid idiot. As Danny is thinking all this to himself, the delightfully named King Faraday placidly watches live footage of the theft from several different angles on his security monitors. Ha! Suck it, Danny fucking Chase! I, I mean, hmm. Interesting. Early the next morning at Star Labs, New York, Dr. Jonathan Brewster arrives at his office to start his day. He's surprised to find that he's not alone. He's even more surprised when Jericho uses his creepy-ass powers to hop inside his body. Troya and Starfire step out of the shadows to confront the newly occupied scientist. Dr. Brewster is like, Well, I recognize you two as titans, and I assume that the weird blonde kid inside of me is another titan. So, what's going on? Starfire is like, You're gonna tell us what's going on with Cyborg. Brewster is like, no, I'm not. Donna is like, I'm sorry? Brewster is like, look, this blonde kid can take over my body, but not my mind, or for some reason, the mouth part of my body. Hell, I bet he doesn't even have any mutton chops. So tell me what this is all about, or I'll start yelling for security. Joey puppets the doctor over to where Victor is lying unconscious on a science table. Brewster is like, Cyborg? What's wrong with him? Donna's like, Joey, is Brewster lying about not knowing what's wrong with Vic? Jericho uses Brewster's hands to sign, He's not totally lying, but he's not totally telling the truth either. Donna's like, Well, if you're only sort of lying, then I guess we can trust you. Here's a floppy disk with the scans of Cyborg's brain we just did. Brewster takes a look and is like, Huh. Looks like he's got some kind of doohickey in there. If you let me get my team together, I bet we can save him before it goes kablooey and kills him. Donna's like, No way. We trust you because you're only kind of lying. But what if someone on your team is all the way lying? You'll have to do the surgery by yourself. Brewster's like, Then he's gonna die. I can't do the surgery by myself. Karen Beecher walks in wearing her bumblebee costume and is like, Then I'll assist with the surgery. Then she says some science words so that Brewster knows she's good at science. Brewster is like, Well, you clearly know your science words and therefore are good at science, but who are you? And why do I get the vague impression that we've been colleagues and friends for many years? Karen is like, Maybe I'll tell you later, but right now we've got work to do. Joey, get your ridiculously bald-cheeked self out of Dr. Brewster. He's on our side. Joey gets his ridiculously bald-cheeked self out of Dr. Brewster. Back at the CBI building, Danny fucking Chase remembers that he has a photographic memory and uses it to memorize whatever file it is that he just swiped. Then he carefully replaces the file and thinks to himself, Ha ha, that stupid King Faraday will never know that I was here. Danny fucking Chase, away! He uses his telekinesis to zoom out of the building and fly off. King Faraday watches Danny fucking Chase leave and thinks to himself, I'm gonna teach that little shit a lesson. Ooh, I hope that lesson is how to stay out of comic books for over a decade at a time. Cause 
That's a lesson that Faraday is definitely qualified to teach, and Danny Chase desperately needs to learn. Later that night, Bumblebee, Starfire, and Troya are flying over New York City. Bumblebee used some special sensors that are built into her mask to see the signal that was being transmitted to Cyborg's brain and is tracking that signal to its source. I guess the plan is for the three of them to track down and defeat Wildebeest real quick and then for Karen to rush back to Star Labs and assist with Vic's clandestine surgery. The signal seems to be coming from an abandoned building in an economically depressed section of town. The trio of Titans cautiously enter the building. I guess one of Donna's new abilities is that she has some kind of a flashlight power, so she turns that on. In the dim light emanating from Donna's palm, Starfire catches sight of what looks like Wildebeest. She rushes forward to tackle the mitten-clad menace, but Donna stops her and is like, Hold on a second, Coriander. Don't you think it's weird that he isn't moving at all? Karen, use your bee powers to scan him and let us know what you see. Karen's like, okay, for the last time, I don't have bee powers. I just made myself a fancy science suit and I like stripes. But the science powers in my fancy mask tell me that this is an empty costume that has been rigged with, oh shit, we've got to get out of. I'm willing to bet that she was going to end that sentence with the word here, but there's no way to know for sure, because she's interrupted by an enormous explosion that engulfs the three heroes and takes up an entire page. Shitty. Back at Star Labs, there's good news and bad news. The good news is that Vic is waking up from his coma. The bad news is that he is screaming incoherently and in incredible pain that even Raven's nonsense powers can do nothing to alleviate. Dr. Brewster is like, Okay, we can't wait for your friends to get back. I'm going to have to operate on Victor right now. Raven is like, But didn't you say that if you tried to do the surgery without any assistance, Victor would probably die? Brewster is like, Oh, I'm pretty sure I didn't use the word probably. But we're out of time, so here we go. To be continued. And joining us once again via the magic of telephonic communication is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? Hey. It's going pretty good. How are you doing? You know what? I'm very angry. Oh, geez. What is it? Well, there's a lot of things making me angry, but to uh, quote Weekly World News columnist Ed Anger, what makes me pig-biting mad mm. is daylight savings time. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that either. I think we should do away with it. I wish we could, but no. Joe Biden's going to steal another goddamn hour tomorrow. <laughs> what is he doing with all of them? Oh, my gosh. Him and every president before since they implemented this thing, I guess. Oh, yeah, they're, they're all in cahoots. Don't get me started, Corey. What do you think they're doing with him? I don't know. I think he just thinks they make him look taller. <laughs> <sighs> Very frustrating, though. Oh, sure. I'm, I'm sorry. How are you doing? Still good. Okay, good. <laughs> Still pretty good. I, I mean, I'm not pig. I'm not pig biting mad, but I always am a little 
bummed out when the time changes. It's just bullshit. They should just keep moving the clock back further. Just like, you know, twice a year, give me another hour. Just not move it at all. Oh, I guess. I like having the extra time. I just don't want to give it back. There's no such thing. Corey, I like the sowing, but the reaping part, mm, I don't care for it. Hmm. Just seems like a bad deal. Yeah, it screwed Mm. things up for me because I've been working in a different time zone. And I was going to say I had just now gotten the hang of the two hour difference. But actually, no, I screwed up the timing of our podcast. (laughs) I guess I had a 50-50 chance. but (laughs) And now it's down to one hour difference because the time doesn't change here. That's right. You're in some kind of a phantom dimension. I always forget about that. Yep. Until next week. Is it a phantom dimension or a Fanta dimension? Oh, they got both. Well, that's nice. I mean, it's a phantom dimension with access to different flavors of Fanta. Ooh, what's your favorite? I like orange. Yeah. Classic. I think orange is the only real fruit flavored soda I'm a fan of. I guess that's not true. I like the Haritos mango. That's pretty good. Oh, man, I love squirt. Oh, okay. Squirt's pretty good, too. I guess that just tastes so little like an actual grapefruit. I forget that it's grapefruit flavored. Yeah, I mean, it's not realistic like, a, say, a Welch's grape or strawberry soda. See, I, I can't do those. I really hate artificial grape flavor of any kind. Well, it's got too much beaver butt in it for you, probably. Yeah, I mean, I like a little beaver butt, but I don't need that beaver to be goatseeing me in that soda. <laughs> no. Well, on that pleasant note, <laughs> you want to talk about a comic book? Yep. Corey, what did you think of this comic book? It's better than a Welch's grape soda, I'll tell you that. Was this the one or was the Defenders one where we were talking about our guarded optimism with an arc starting? It was this one, right? This year? It was this one, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm still there. I think your theory last time that there is corruption within Star Labs that's maybe responsible for the hijinks with a Cyborg seems to be where things are headed. Maybe Wildebeest is Star Labs. Hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I think my optimism is a little bit even more guarded than it was because we do see the first steps of Wolfman's classic trope of two steps forward, one and a half steps back, starting to rear its head already in this storyline with Cyborg, where at the end of the last issue, we had the big reveal that Cyborg had been under Wildebeest's control and he's knocked out and in grave medical danger. And then this issue, we end up with almost the same cliffhanger after a few pages of him being okay at the beginning, you know? Yeah, but don't they have to do that to build up to the drama of his emergency wildebeestendectomy? They do need to have him still be in the coma, but I feel like they didn't need to have him come out of the coma just to put him back in a coma, you know? Oh, I don't know. I, I, I kind of like that because it's like a horror movie when you're like, oh, thank goodness that's over. And then right <laughs> before the credits, you like the creepy doll or whatever pops up again. You're like, oh, man, there's going to be a sequel. Yeah, I would like that a little bit more if I wasn't so inured to it over the course of these, what, 130 New Titans issues that we've seen this play out over and over again. But overall, I did like most of this story. I think the biggest exception would be Danny fucking Chase is back. 
and really just on brand. Oh, yeah. He's a real fucking cocky turd in this issue. <laughs> he is. I don't think it's a great move for the head of the CBI, King Faraday, to be like, eh, I'll just see how this plays out. And then I'll fuck with him later. <laughs> but I am glad that he's doing it. Oh, yeah. I, I don't like the idea that he's doing it to mold DFC into a better agent of the government. Like, I kind of got that was the motivation behind the fucking with him. Well, there's a couple of ways you can take the phrase, I'm just the one to teach him a lesson. I mean, it could be that, yes, I want to educate this young man, or it could be, yeah, I'm going to teach this little fucker a lesson. Well, they're not mutually exclusive. Yeah, I feel like with Danny fucking Chase, they kind of are. Yeah. That kid's not going to actually learn. No, he's the worst. I do like in that panel where King Faraday is contemplating he's going to teach him a lesson. The little exposition box says, King Faraday smiles. <laughs> and, and he's just frowning. Yeah, that's what we would call a big New England smile. Yeah. <laughs> a frown. How you doing? Not bad. Exactly. I did have some questions in general about the way things are run at the CBI. It seems like their security is maybe not top notch. I hate to agree with Danny fucking Chase about that, but it does seem to be the case. In particular, it seems like there should be more of a vetting process in place with their security guards. Other than the drunk test? <laughs> <laughs> That's part of it. Like... If you're hiring people that after they report an incident, you automatically are like, okay, Rummy, whatever you say, an intruder at our top secret facility. Was this intruder named Jim Beam? <laughs> Maybe doesn't speak that well to the character of people you're hiring. And if you're having to continually give them drunk tests, you must at least suspect that they're drunk most of the time. Even putting aside that level of assumed alcoholism of their security guards, you do have the fact that it is apparently their policy. Guy shows up at the gate. You ask him who he is. He doesn't say and turns around and runs back out of the facility. You immediately open fire and start shooting him in the back. That doesn't seem great. Yeah. You know, in the guards defense it's a little hard to see if he's running out of the gate or like into the compound if it's into the compound then you know they're just following protocol right you gotta shoot people in the back who run into your compound as i understand it in government work i am pretty sure he has turned around and is running backwards because you see the guard's position he is farther away from them when they open fire than he was when they were addressing him oh i thought it was like a red rover situation <laughs> where they're like, who are you? And he's just like, ah, <laughs> and ran through them. I guess that's a possibility. I was reading it the other way. I think either way, you probably shouldn't shoot the guy in the back. No, no, it's a bad policy. That said, in their defense, again, he's wearing a very suspicious sunglasses, trench coat and fedora. Well, I would argue that that is in some ways the least suspicious outfit that you could wear. It is an impenetrable disguise exactly because it is so ubiquitous. Everyone dresses like that all the time. So when you see somebody dressed that way, they appear to be an everyman. They could be anyone. 
that's a good point too because he is at the cbi where that's probably like they just hand you that shit when you sign up right i would imagine there's your fedora I think the entirety of the interview process is probably just, do you have your own trench coat and fedora already? Okay, you're hired. I did also think it was funny that they went out of their way to describe, like, it was a, some kind of a dummy, but it was wearing clothes. It's like, aren't most dummies wearing clothes? What kind of dummies are they interacting with on a regular basis that just, like, well, it was like a dummy, but it it wasn't nude and posed erotically. What, what am I supposed to make of this thing? The last dummy we shot was totally naked. That's why we didn't know. Yeah, they're not doing a good job. DFC is right about that, I'll admit. But it may be part of some decoy security system that is set up by King Faraday because we do see that it is at least partly his policy to allow people to break into his high-tech security system and steal files while he watches them on videotape and smirks. So, I don't know, maybe they're doing exactly the job they were hired to do. Or they're just like his cousins. Yeah, that's probably more likely. What do you think King Faraday's cousins are named? So similarly, uh, having to do with monarchy? Not necessarily, but something that you could be for a day. What else can you be for a day? I think just a king or a queen, right? Yeah, mostly it's just king or queen for a day. Dog catcher? (laughs) Dog catcher for a day? I mean, I would assume most of these security guards would be security guards for a day if they're just going to keep showing up drunk and shooting people. Mm -hmm. I mean, hopefully. Yeah. I don't know, maybe we just give them Japanese baseball names. <laughs> yeah, probably they're all named Bobson Dugnut. <laughs> yeah, two Bobsons and one Mike Truck. Sounds good. This comic book opens with a surprisingly erotic scene. What did you think of that scene? Yeah, I was surprised at how, I guess, explicitly sensual it is. It really was. It's one of those where it's like, it's a mix of things because I don't know, when you were younger, do you ever watch one of those like Cinemax movies where you can tell what's being implied is happening, but the actual physics of the situation just makes it look like that guy's paying an awful lot of attention to that lady's belly button. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The geography of the scene as it's set up doesn't quite work out, but There was something that I was like, well, this is pretty real, like just partly just the vulnerability that both of them were showing in the scene. Like it was a very erotic scene. But then, like with every DC comic that we've seen, just maybe nobody understands how anatomy works in the DC universe, because she did seem to be giving the middle of his sternum a hickey. And that was like the big act. And then he like just brings her head up and is like, Nah, we're just never going to figure this out. And they hug for a minute. Yeah, if they had just removed that one, like, oh, don't stop. That's my solar plexus. It's my most sensitive solar plexus. (laughs) Like, if they had removed that panel, I feel like the rest of it would have probably been more effective. Yeah, but I mean, it, it does kind of make sense. Just the idea that, like, we've seen nobody knows how to kiss. So just there is a general dearth of even the most basic understanding of human anatomy in the DC universe. Mm -hmm. So 
is is this how you do this? I I don't know. And then they just kind of give up and it's it's sweet, but also kind of sad. And then you transition into him waking up. And I was curious what was going on in that scene. Is that a memory of the first time that he and Sarah hooked up? Is he having a dream? Is it reflective of something? Or did they just want to put like an kind of awkward softcore porn scene in there? Um, yes. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't, I kind of went through that same thought process. I, I think I landed on flashback slash dream. Yeah, I, I kind of did too, but I didn't really understand how it related to the story that we get. My attempt at relating it was to say, you know, because it starts with he puts his robotic hand on her shoulder and she's like, ah, that's cold. And then they have this tender, like, skin against skin moment. So he's, you know, struggling with his identity is, you know, am I a man or am I a machine? And then that morphs into, holy shit, no, I'm a fucking wildebeest. This is awful. So it's like an identity mix up. Yeah, I kind of ultimately landed in the same place. I think the scene just maybe kind of highlights the body horror that he's experiencing throughout the issue. But boy, when he woke up and was wearing that wildebeest costume, that wildebeest costume looks so much goofier without the helmet on it. Like, it was horrific for him, obviously, to wake up in those circumstances. But it was also kind of funny just because he looked so goofy in his like fursuit with mittens without that antlered helmet, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's a really goofy look. It's so furry. It really is. And so mittened. Mittens? I just can't see him as menacing, I don't think. Yeah, it's tough to pull off. I mean, I'm no dire race, but... Mm. Well, that's probably why. That scene that you just mentioned is great, where he, in his dream or whatever it is, he punches a mirror that explodes shards of the mirror that all have little bits of his reflected face, his eyes, his open mouth and everything. And mm-hmm. that's like flying 3D into, I guess, like the faces of his fellow Titans. And I think that's supposed to be specifically his fellow Titans at the time that he attacked them as Wildebeest. Uh, you see the outfits are from the last issue during the attacks, not what they're wearing when he wakes up and sees them there. So yeah, I think that's like the shattered memories of his time as Wildebeest. And that is all really, really well done. There is a slightly different art team in this. It is George Perez doing the layouts and then Tom Grummet doing the finished pencils and Bob McLeod doing the inks. And there is definitely a difference in the art style that you see in this issue. What did you think of it? Overall, I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a good mix between some of the the detail that we're used to from Perez with all the machinery and cables and whatnot, but also, Mm -hmm. I don't know how to describe it, almost like like a romance comic level of expression on the faces of the characters. Yeah, there is a slight exaggeration of features in general in the characters. It actually reminds me a lot of a more 90s style of art. It's almost like a midway point between Perez and like Todd McFarlane or somebody like that, where there is this slight exaggeration, not quite into the realm of caricature, but a little bit more cartoonish. But it really works. It's definitely a different style. I really enjoyed it and appreciated it. It very much does speak to a more 90s sensibility, though, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we are nearly 
there by the actual publishing date, right? We're half a year away. Yeah, September of 89. So really on the cusp of the 90s and stylistically getting very close to there. Coming up, there is actually going to be a crossover. I don't know if we're going to cover the Batman issues of it, but some of those stories are done by Todd McFarlane, actually. So he was working in the industry at this point, for sure. Yeah, it's one of those awkward uh, between the decades moments, like when we still haven't quite figured out, like, am I going to keep the neon dyed feathers clipped (laughs) to my jean jacket or do I take those off? And It is funny. In my mind, there is just such a clear delineation between the decades. But when you see footage of them or, you know, footage of yourself during those periods, it's like, oh, yeah, I guess this was 91, but everyone is still dressed like they would be hanging out at the mall in 87, you know? Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of popped collars and pegged jeans. (laughs) Yeah. Hell, I remember... Christ, must be like 15 years ago now. I drove across country from Rhode Island to Oregon, and I remember thinking, oh, shit, there are still huge swaths of the country where it's still 1991. I feel like that's probably a little bit less the case now that the internet is a little more ubiquitous, but uh, it was still pretty striking. We get a couple of different uses of Titan's powers than we are used to seeing in this issue. Joey does some clarification or retconning of the way that his powers work. We now know that when he is controlling someone, they still get to control their, I don't know, mouths and vocal cords and stuff. Like they can definitely still talk and he can sign in their body I think we have seen this before, but it is definitely not the way his power used to work. Could he talk through people before? Initially, that was a big thing for him. Right. Because it was very freeing for him to be able to communicate vocally with people when he was taking over somebody else's body. In this, he can't anymore. I don't know if that is a distinction that started getting made post-crisis. They decided to retcon his powers to an extent then. I guess that would make sense. but. I don't know. It's fine. I guess he also can't really read people's minds anymore, which he used to be able to when he took over their bodies. And in this instance, when he tries to take over Cyborg's body, he just can't do shit. Yeah, it seems like they've uh, they've walked back some of his ability. Which I guess is good, because it is a creepy ability. But I don't know. I would like a little bit more consistency. Like I said, it may be a thing that got retconned with the crisis on Infinite Earth, but just didn't get a lot of attention. Either way, it was kind of weird when they did that whole thing where they were like, well, Joey can tell that he's not lying, but he's also not telling the truth. And then everybody's like, oh, well, then I guess we can trust him. I'm like, wait, what? First of all, how can he not tell for sure whether he's lying when he is literally inside his mind? And second of all, why would you be like, well, yeah, that seems like a trustworthy thing to do. He's only lying a little bit. Yeah, Dr. Maybe Evil is also like unnervingly calm about having somebody (laughs) jump into his body. He's just like, oh, man, he's doing he's making my hands move. That's weird. What's he doing, guys? Like, oh, he's just doing sign language. Okay. That's fine. 
I did have some questions about, I believe it is, his name is Jonathan Brewster. Is he the doctor who got hit over the head with a science pipe a decade or so ago? I can't remember uh, what that guy looked like. Could be. I know he wasn't the guy who did the hitting with the science pipe. That guy's last name was Buckminster, because I kept wondering if he was supposed to be Bucky Fuller. Mm -hmm. Maybe... Marv Wolfman had a bad incident with a geodesic dome and was just like, oh, I'm going to take this guy down a pig. I'll never live this down. Hey, this is Editor Hub here in the future. I looked into it and it turns out Dr. Brewster is not the scientist who got hit on the head with a science pipe. That was Dr. Mesner. I now return you to your regularly scheduled nonsense. You're right. Relatively unflappable in the face of having his body taken over. He adjusted the situation remarkably quickly, but he still doesn't get off scot-free because uh, he doesn't recognize Karen Beecher, who he has worked with for at least five or six years fairly closely when she is wearing her Bumblebee costume and saying that, oh, I know you and I have this specific set of science credentials. You know, I feel like we spend a lot of time bashing secret identities and stuff but <laughs> this one got me thinking because i had the same thought at first i was like that idiot like of course he should know this person by her voice and everything else and you know probably the fact that she's like one of two black women who <laughs> work in this building with a thousand other people but i've never had the experience of as far as i know seeing a friend or somebody that i knew or have worked with and only having access to their nose and their mouth to see maybe it is confusing I can understand the confusion, but she does give him rather a lot of context clues, I would think, in saying, hey, I have this specific science information. I've been your colleague for a while. I think it may be that she is playing on either his racism or his guilt about potential racism. If he's like, I'm pretty sure that's Karen, but... If I guess that it is and it isn't, I am going to look so racist because I know Karen really well. So I'm just going to be quiet about this. Man, that shit is real, though. You don't want to be like, oh, yeah, like I was in that movie. And they're like, nope. I have a friend who's Asian, and he told me when he first started going to bars, he was underage. And he said, nine out of ten times, if they asked for my ID and I just said, I already showed it to you. They would get very flustered and I could tell they didn't believe me, but they also didn't want to call me on not believing me. <laughs> it's like, oh shit, did I? I'm, I'm almost certain that isn't the guy that I just served, but I don't want to look, <laughs> god damn it. Okay, here, just have a beer. Uh-huh. So it's possible that Karen is playing that up. Could be. And if she is, good for her, man. Yeah, the thing I didn't like about her entrance was the self-deprecation. I think she's feeling a little bad about her bumblebee costume which is a shame because it's awesome it's a great costume and bumblebee isn't a dumb name bumblebee is a cool name i think marf wolfman is just deprecating every name that he didn't come up with which is only like three or four names because he keeps wanting to reuse the same ones right like the guy has introduced multiple characters that are unrelated to one another named Jericho, Starfire, and Wildebeest. But when Bumblebee shows up, he makes a point of making her say, oh, sorry, Bumblebee is a dumb name. Yep. Stuck with it. But I think Bumblebee is a cool name. I think she has a cool costume. It's a bummer that her ability to trace electronic signals 
resulted in everybody getting blown up. But uh, I think she did a pretty good job. Oh, yeah. The electronic signals thing did make me wonder, why didn't they just take Cyborg someplace where the electronic signals couldn't get through? Like, if that's what's fucking him up. Like a Faraday cage. Huh? Nice. Or just take him to, like, Raven's dimension. Mm. I don't think she can get radio reception there. Maybe she can, though. Like, maybe she had cable put in in there, and she's like, Oh, I didn't think this through. I just wanted to watch my stories. Uh, yeah, I mean, that would have been a better approach probably than what we are left with at the end of this, which was extremely unnerving to me, which was this back and forth between the team and Dr. Maybe Evil, maybe not Brewster, him saying, I can't possibly operate by myself. I, I need my team. I need more information. And then at the end, the exchange is, I think, is somebody says, what's wrong with him, Doctor? And he's like, I don't know, but we've got to operate now. Yep. That's how you're going to find out what's wrong with him? I guess. Yeah. Man, I hope I don't go to that doctor. It's like, well, your knee's a little swollen, so you're going to wake up in about a week. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not a doctor, but I'm pretty sure that potentially fatal exploratory surgery shouldn't be a first resort. I get that they have state-of-the-art technology, but if I have any kind of malady, I am definitely not going to Star Labs. I mean, best case scenario, they bring in two different sets of teens to just watch my dick while I'm getting my physical. Mm-hmm. Worst case scenario, they have a supervillain get into my brain and start attacking my friends. I don't care for either of those. Yeah, the best case scenario when there is not super comfortable. Yeah, no, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, this is not a good hospital. No. There is also a third little snippet of a story that we get in here, with Nightwing still dealing with his Batman issues. What do you think of that? Man, sounds like Bruce is being a real dick. He definitely is. What's happening in this story right now is a very brief tie-in to a larger storyline that's happening in the Batman comics, where Batman is really fucking shit up right now. Marv Wolfman had just taken over as the head writer of Batman at this point, and they're doing a story called Batman Year Three, which is flashbacks to Dick Grayson's origin as Robin, his new post-crisis, here's how shit really went down in the early days of him living with Batman. And that is interspersed with Batman really losing it over the death of Jason Todd. The main thing that I think is relevant to this comic that you don't see in this issue is that in those comics, when Dick visits Wayne Manor, he finds that there are no traces whatsoever of Jason Todd ever having lived there. Like his bedroom is gone. All of his shit is gone. There is no sign that he was ever Robin. And that is Batman's way of dealing with it. Mm. And uh, yeah, Batman has, at this point in the comic book, I think, just uh, been in a building that blew up with a missile and Nightwing saved him. And then Batman was just like, fuck you, I would have saved myself. And storms off. So yeah, Batman's a real turd at this point. Mm. Yeah, you feel feel bad for Dick because it was already so challenging to go have that confrontation. Yeah. And then you get there and then the guy's hiding from you, basically. And you're like, great, now I got to double down on my discomfort and go find this fucker to have it out with. Right. And well, Batman, I'm sure, gave him 
the tools to deal with a lot of kinds of confrontation. I would be very surprised if an emotional confrontation was something that he had been trained for. Mm-hmm. Having Batman as a dad. So yeah, I'm curious as to how that's going to develop. Good for him for being like, sorry, you guys can handle this, right? Yeah. I was a little bit surprised at how readily Donna was like, yeah, I think we got this because it kind of seems like, no, they don't got it. But yeah, I think she was just really trying to support her friend finally dealing with his Batman issues. I get it. Speaking of Donna, we had talked about Jericho's inconsistent power set. Donna displays a new power. I wonder if that's just something that's going to happen every issue. I guess she has uh, magic glow stick powers now where she can make moonlight appear in any room that she enters. Yeah, I feel I feel like you're right. Just basically there. How do we solve the problem of there not being, I don't know, a light on in this room? Oh, Donna power. Yep, she forgot she could do that, too. Okay, there is an ongoing theme in this issue that I'm really curious about and so far, at least, is not quite working for me. But the idea that Wildebeest keeps letting people off on technicalities, like the Titans keep saying things like, well, technically, Dick is on his lunch break right now, which means that he's not officially a Titan, which is why Vic knew not to attack him. Mm hmm. How does that shit work? Why on earth would Wildebeest be such a stickler for rules about that shit? Yeah, and the same with Gar and uh, DFC, right? Like, well, they're taking a leave of absence, so he's just not going to mess with them. Well, and in the last issue, it was apparently Donna was briefly on break, which was why Wildebeest didn't attack her and attacked only Starfire. It doesn't make any sense that he would draw that really like clear delineation like, well, technically she's not a Titan, so I can't attack her. He's a supervillain and one that used to be a CEO. These are two genres of people who are not noted for being sticklers for the rules, you know? Maybe he's not good at hacking cybernetic firmware. You know, maybe it's a, like a binary thing because he's, he's making cyborg attack by messing with his circuitry. Oh, okay, so he's just programmed him attack the Titans and some small part of cyborg is like, Okay, then I'm not going to attack these people. Yeah. Like, I'm going to hold off and like, okay, that makes more sense. Because I was picturing it just being a situation. (laughs) Like, if you get mugged and the mugger's like, give me your wallet. And you're like, okay. And you take all your money out of your wallet and then hand him the wallet. And then the mugger just like shakes his fist at you and is like, well, technically you did what I said. So there's nothing I can do. Oh, next time. It's one of those loopholes like that. Yeah. Well, there's certainly more stuff to unpack in this comic, but I think most of it's going to come up in the minutiae. You ready to move into the minutiae? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, Corey, what do you feel like starting off with? Yeah, I want to do some timestamps. You know what? Yeah, let's do some timestamps, Corey. What timestamps were you able to find in this issue? Oh, man, the one that jumped out at me the most was the uh, five and a quarter inch floppy disk on page 18. 
I had the same one. Like, I, I just said, look at the size of that floppy disk. <laughs> what, what do you think that's for? Do you think they got a uh, an IBM PC Jr. up in there? Oh, uh, they got something. Yeah. It is a very large floppy disk, and I appreciate that, like, it's a fancy one. It's white instead of black, so you probably got to pay a little bit extra for that kind of a floppy. But uh, definitely a literal floppy disk, which even by 89, I think was a bit of a rarity. By that time, I think they were mostly the ones with the little hard shells, weren't they? Yeah, like the three and a quarter inch ones. Yeah, that was the one that jumped out to me, too. Did you have any others? Uh, the only other one I had was Dick referring to his little Titans communication device as the Titans beeper. Yeah, but it's a beeper that he can talk into and can talk back. So it really seems more like a cell phone or walkie talkie, doesn't it? Right, but they just they didn't have like the I guess they had the walkie talkie terminology, but that didn't sound fancy enough. And they're like, oh, beepers are <laughs> cutting edge. They are indeed. I guess it must be more like a radio, right? Mm hmm. Yeah, I noticed that as well. But mostly my attention was, man, that is a big floppy disk. At first, I thought it was a piece of paper that she was holding up. Mm -hmm. Corey, let's have ourselves a Battle of the Band Names. What names of bands were you able to find in the text of this comic? I think I'll start with probably what's my favorite. I only got a couple of them, but this one is it's all capital letters. And I think they're a punk band and they're called Red Blanket Emergency. Corey, I had Red Blanket Emergency, too. Oh, shit. That sounds like a real band, doesn't it? It did to me. Yeah. Yeah. What genre of punk do you think these guys are? Oh, these guys are straight Blink-182. <laughs> Yeah, they are California pop punk. They probably have inexplicable fake British accents. <laughs> yep. We are Red Blanket Emergency! <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I can hear the power chords at the Warped Festival <laughs> right now. Yep, I agree. I think that is honestly a great band name, and it looks like that's probably the one we're going with, unless your other option was... The Lab Boys. Oh, no, it wasn't. My, my other option was Original Brain Matter. Ooh. I like both of those names, honestly. Like, yeah. I think The Lab Boys would be kind of fun. It has that kind of, like, retro 80s feel, like The Bus Boys, kind of. But, like, you know, obviously a little bit more science-y. Or, conversely, they could be, like, uh, the Chuck E. Cheese house band that they're the lab boys and they're scientist dogs that are animatronic creatures. Or rats. Well, I was saying the lab boys, like they're black labs, oh. but they're also scientists. Oh, that's complicated. It is, and a lot of people are very disappointed when they don't get to sit in the birthday room and they have to see uh, those guys play instead of Chuck E. Cheese and the Rock of Fire Explosion Band. Is that really the name, the Chuck E. Cheese Band? I think so. That's not bad. No, it's pretty good. Man, the difference between Chuck E. Cheese as a kid and as grown up taking kids there is horribly different. <laughs> I would imagine so. I drank an entire pitcher of Coors Light just trying to get through it. You pretty much had to. Oh, gosh. it's awful. I'm so sorry. That's okay. 
that's one of those where like whenever I see a Chuck E. Cheese, I'm amazed that they still exist because they're just like, I never think about them. Like when I was a kid, I thought about Chuck E. Cheese all the time. And then it was like, well, I don't know anybody who wants to go there anymore. And so I assume they just stop existing. It's like, since I no longer work in the service industry, I'm always amazed whenever I'm reminded that, oh, I guess people still do do cocaine. I just don't know them anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like cocaine for kids. Totally. Yeah. What was your other band name? My other band name was Original Brain Matter. Okay. What kind of music do you think Original Brain Matter plays? Gosh, you know, they're either a band that thinks they are very clever and sings about high concept stuff mm. weren't there probably like a jazz three piece okay I, i'm not sure which to be honest huh for some reason i was picturing reggae punk but i think i was just thinking of bad brains oh that does have brain in there yeah i was like they would be like the opposite of a cover band <laughs> mm. i don't know if you could do opposite of a cover band without time travel though. <laughs> like they do the original versions of a song that was only done in covers but they only do the originals but i was like but it would there would have to be collusion for that to happen collusion or time travel oh yeah no no they're not that fancy but moot point right because by the rules of our institution (laughs) have to go with the double selection indeed so red blanket emergency it is did you have an exclamation point after emergency uh no but i should Okay. I will add one now. (laughs) Thank you. All caps too, right? Yeah, obviously. Okay. Corey, every issue of a Teen Titans comic has an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, and also a Beast Boy, the worst of Teen Titans, until Danny fucking Chase showed up. In this comic, who did you have as your Aqualad, and who did you have as your Beast Boy? Well, we'll get the bad slash obvious news out of the way first for being on brand as this jerky little asshole that he is. I had DFC. I also had DFC. What a fucking chump. Doing a bad job, thinking he's doing a good job. The Danny fucking Chase story. Exactly. As a backup, I did have Joey. Very ineffective in this issue for the most part. He takes over somebody's body briefly, who it seems he didn't actually need to take over their body, and he hops out of there pretty damn quick. He also doesn't listen. Like, both Donna and Raven are like, no, don't jump into Victor's body. Donna, because she's like, it's too dangerous, although why she thought it would be dangerous, I don't know. She doesn't show her work. And Raven, because she can sense that it won't work. And I guess it would be better if Jericho ignored them, but he didn't even ignore them. He listened to them and then ignored them. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. And now I'm going to do the thing that I agree with you I shouldn't do. Yeah, I had the same frustration and he's definitely in the running. When I was working at the Matador, there was a time when uh, my best friend Ellen was bartending and I was cooking and some stuff had just come out of the deep fryer. It had just came out. I saw her reaching for it to like steal a fry or something. And I said, be careful. Those are really hot. And she looked at me, made direct eye contact and very slowly reached into the basket, picked one up, put it in her mouth and then was like, ow, it's too hot. (laughs) 
Anyway, that's what it reminded me of that Joey did. <laughs> it was like that. And do you get like a weird, like you're not supposed to have a sense of satisfaction <laughs> that somebody got hurt doing what you told them would hurt them? Yeah. But you do feel like going, see? Oh, absolutely. I'm sure Donna and Raven both felt that. Yeah, that's how you fucking learn. Conversely, who did you have as your Aqualad? I went with Bumblebee, despite self-deprecating about her costume and name and potentially getting them blown up. But, <laughs> you know, she led them to the signal. She didn't make them get close to the explosion. So I'm, I'm going to give it a pass there. But what I did like is that she really took charge when it was time to get Cyborg his emergency surgery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was just like, hey, we got to do this to save his life. You know, let's go. Yeah, and potentially weaponized Dr. Jonathan Brewster's uh, liberal white guilt as she did so. So good for her. Mm -hmm. I had, I don't know, it it was tough for me because nobody did a great job in this issue. I had Dick as a potential choice because he is still being very dutiful and doing something that is very difficult to do in confronting Bruce. But that's kind of an ongoing act that has been set in motion already. So I went with Raven because she did save Cyborg's life and put him in her soul tummy cocoon again. Redundant, but effective. Mm -hmm. Corey, let's take this party to the Bozone. What instance of one character calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically, do you want to highlight? Oh, Corey, apparently there is a small motor scooter in the recording studio with you. Yeah, well, I couldn't get the cell phone app to work, so... Very innovative. Thank you. Yes, Danny fucking Chase does, in fact, use the word bozo. It is on page 16. Let's take a look. Man, when I've gotten what I want, I just might write those bozos in charge an anonymous note. Just to gloat over how easy it was to break in here. The jerks, they deserve this. That's a pretty good uh, DFC voice you got there. Thank you. I'm realizing he may be the singer to (laughs) Red Blanket Emergency. (laughs) Oh, man. I like this band less and less. (laughs) People, if they listen to this, they're not going to vote for the name if we trash the band. Well, that's the thing, though. They don't exist until people vote for them. Wait, is that how this works? Oh, wow. We're reifying bands. I guess. I don't know. This is all very metaphysical. Mm. Yeah, Danny fucking Chase, he uses the word bozo, so that's the natty B for this issue. Other than that, he calls a lot of people jerks. Mm-hmm. He says that the security are jerks, King Faraday's a jerk, the CBI are a bunch of jerks, the Titans kicked him out, so they're jerks. Everybody's a bunch of jerks. He also calls somebody creepo. I don't remember who. Mm-hmm. Yep, I had, a, had that noted as well, creepo. Anything else? Uh, No, that's a DFC with all the jerks. Yeah, pretty insult light issue, I felt like. With the exception of uh, you do have Bumblebee's self-deprecation, but I disagree with it and uh, don't want to acknowledge it any further. She thinks Bumblebee is a dumb name. Bumblebee is a perfectly fine name. Good name for a Transformer, good name for a superhero, good name for a kind of bee. All of the above. 
Sartorially speaking, which incidents of fashion did you find most noteworthy in this comic? I struggled a little bit with this category. I feel like the most fashion stuff we got was the science people in Star Labs. Mm-hmm. In particular, the one that stood out to me was who I called Hipster Science Guy on page 24. He's got, for some reason, tight yellow slacks, a blue shirt, a green tie, and maybe orange shoes accompanied by some chunky black plastic framed glasses. I can appreciate that. I think there probably is a dress code at Star Labs, and so he's finding loopholes to work his own flair into it. Mm -hmm. I can appreciate that. Mm -hmm. You may recall when I I worked at the uh, Lebanese restaurant where I had to wear black pants and a white button-down shirt. There was a period where every day I wore a ruffled tuxedo shirt. I do remember that. Yeah. I remember I I got... More than one stern talking to from the manager at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse where I bust tables because my Dr. Martens that I wore had the little yellow laces. <laughs> or not laces, sorry. Uh, little yellow uh, stitching. Wow, that's pretty fucking severe. I thought it was dumb, so I, he was like, you need to... I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I will take care of that next week. And I just never did, and not a big deal. I was I was concerned when you said yellow laces because I don't know what that's code for. Oh, I think I think the yellow laces are the good ones. I think that means you don't like the racist skinheads. I thought that was the blue ones. I think the blue ones means you hate cops. Oh, and the red and the white ones are bad. Right. I knew that the yellow ones mean you're like a a sharp or one of those guys. But I'm not sure. It's been a very long time since I've thought about that stuff it could just mean you like bumblebees you know yellow and black yeah yeah totally they go good together Mm -hmm. unless it means you like yellow jackets isn't that funny what a big difference the type of stinging bug it is that makes we were being i thought menaced by a yellow jacket at lunch today and i was like ah this is terrible get away and then it landed on the table and i was like oh it's just a honeybee guys we're cool (laughs) Nice. It, it changed the whole vibe. Well, I mean, they have very different mission statements. Like, Bumblebee's job is to bumble around and be fuzzy. Honeybee's job is to make honey. Yellow Jacket's job is to make pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's all they want. Yeah. And, and they can hurt you again and again if you don't squish them. Yeah. Yeah, in terms of fashion... I had the fact that the wildebeest suit looks really silly without its head. I think this is the first time we've seen that particular look. Also, the way that the dummy was dressed, mostly the fairly standard trench coat, green trench coat, which you see a lot more in these comics than you do a more traditional beige trench coat, but also had those, I think, yellow tinted sunglasses, like prescription blue blocker style glasses, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a good look for a dummy. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's a sharp dummy. Mm hmm. Corey, who did you have as your president of the drama club? Which character do you think acted or rather overacted in the most dramatic manner? Man, speaking of drama club, we got to go right to page three because this is like the high school drama class in full effect i feel like the teacher is just like okay everybody on the count of three i want to see you look more surprised than anybody else in the room it's like a surprise off 
Man, it is. I mean, I think Cyborg is winning the surprise off, but I don't think that necessarily makes him the president because he has the most reason to be surprised. I agree with you in principle, but A, he's the most surprised, and B, he's trying so hard that there is an arched eyebrow of surprise on the robot side of his face, which isn't <laughs> supposed to have an eyebrow. So I gotta, I gotta, I'm sorry, I gotta go with him. Yeah, when the surprise is great enough, an eyebrow will appear. And and also on page uh, six, a couple pages later, when he switches to evil cyborg or to back into wildebeest, they mm-hmm. draw his face so completely distorted with rage that again his metal mask is morphing into a a shape of rage. All right, tough but fair. I kind of gave Cyborg a pass because I think he's experiencing legitimate trauma in this issue. And that kind of left me at a loss. I think I'm going to end up going with Raven. She has a few different panels where she is being shocked and surprised. And seeing as she can sense what is happening and knows what emotions other people are going through, it seems like that show of surprise must be a bit of an act on her part. But... That's all I could really come up with. My other choices were people who technically didn't appear in this issue, but I felt like they were being very dramatic. That would be both Batman in his just uh, storming off and being like, no, I need to be by myself. (laughs) But but I want to make sure you know I need to be by myself. So I'm going to make a big show of how alone I want to be left. Nobody better come looking for me. Yeah, I'm going to leave my browser open with my list of 10 things to do when you're sad and lonely <laughs> open <laughs> so Nightwing finds it. Exactly. Only it was 1989, so his browser is just like a notebook. Oh, that's right. But yeah, I, I, I feel like that's kind of what Batman's doing. I also feel like Wildebeest is making some very dramatic choices, but technically neither he or Batman appear in the issue, so I'm going to give it to Raven. Okay. This is a kind of difficult category for me to narrow it down to one on, because as we discussed earlier, the art in this comic is very good. But what was your favorite panel? Gosh, yeah, I agree. It's a tough one. I really do like the broken mirror effect on page two that we talked about already. Mm. Really well rendered. Probably my favorite, though, just for its graphic quality, is that 80s-looking skyline on page 21. I had the same thing. I said night skyline. Yeah, it's really cool, with just, like, the zoom lines of the three heroes flying across the night sky over it. It's really, really cool-looking. Just very geometric-looking, futuristic cityscape. I liked it a lot. Me too. And yeah, you have like the different colored swoosh lines of the three heroines. You have, I'm, I keep calling her Wonder Girl. She's Troya now. You have Troya with the yellow swoosh, Bumblebee with a blue swoosh for some reason, and you have the red line of Starfire's magic space fire hair. Mm-hmm. It's just really cool looking. I liked it a lot. I had that one written down. I also had, speaking of panels we have talked about before, surprised cyborg waking up with the mitten hands that's just really well done i also really liked some of the schematic scenes which could maybe go in the timestamp category as well but like the computer displays that show cyborg's body in a 3d graphing 
thing. There's one on page six specifically. It's not the best of them, but it's the one that I think I like the best. It is Cyborg looking at a 3D graph paper looking image of the Wildebeest costume that looks like maybe it could be used to grow tomatoes in. <laughs> you know, it, it just looks like it's made out of bailing wire in that way. And it's uh, it's cool looking. Yeah, I liked I like that as well. Good technology illustrations in here. Indeed. Well, Corey, I have just one further question I have to ask you. And that question is, of course, Waput! In the relatively arbitrarily determined year of our Lord, 1990, and the month of our Lord, August, what was Aqualad probably up to, Corey? Waput! Yeah, so... A little bit earlier, let's say like mid to late September, Aqualad and Iki had uh, headed west to uh, San Luis Obispo, California for a conference at Cal Poly on ocean stuff. And after some long days of vigorous academic stuff, they needed to go blow off some steam and decided to go on a local uh, pub crawl. And you know, Beaky, he just got a little out of hand and by the time they were at their third or fourth pub, he had just had way too much to drink and was flying around, stealing bar snacks out of mm. little cups in front of everybody. And people were getting really annoyed at this pelican. Pelicans are pretty big, right? Yeah. This is back when you could smoke in bars. And one of the things that happened as he was flying around stealing these peanuts was he, he knocked over an ashtray, which uh, caught on fire. And uh, there's oh. a San Luis Obispo city council person in that bar. and. Everybody was okay, but it was a really scary minute before the barkeep was able to put the fire out. And not a lot of people know this, but that's why just a few days later on August 2nd, 1990, San Luis Obispo became the first city in the world to ban smoking in all public buildings. Wow. I'm surprised they didn't just ban pelicans in all public buildings. Oh, yeah. Well, it turns out that the pelican lobby is... A little more powerful than Big Tobacco. Who would have thought? (laughs) Good to know. Wow. Well, that is one thing that Aqualad was up to in August of 1990. But it wasn't the only thing. You see, other than that, Aqualad was taking a little trip up north and paying a visit to Canada. Why? Because of the Canada Open Tennis Tournament. Aqualad was a big fan of Michael Chang. And Michael Chang, at the time, I believe, 17-year-old tennis phenom, recently won the French Open. Aqualad really wanted to see him play live. And so uh, he got really stoked about seeing some tennis. So he drove up to Canada, and he's driving around the whole country, just so amped. And to amp himself up further to see some quality tennis, he started listening to a new album that came out on August 21st, that being, of course, Mama Said Knock You Out by LL Cool J. Oh, the best tennis motivating music ever. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. So he's got, you know, he's renting a car. He's got the windows down. He and Beaky are just singing along to Mama Said Knock You Out all across Canada. And when Aqualad talks, people listen, unfortunately. (laughs) 
because one of the lines in the song is LL Cool J giving a little shout out to the people that he grew up with on Farmers Boulevard in Queens, New York. And so he says, farmers, farmers, get ready. We're ready. I think I'm going to bomb a town. Get down. Don't you ever, ever pull my lever because I explode and my nine is easy to load, etc. It's a whole song. Right. But Aqualad's singing along to that song. And the farmers of Canada just heard him sing that song. And they didn't have the context. They weren't familiar with the song Mama Said Knock You Out. They just heard Aqualad yelling, Farmers, get ready, because I'm going to bomb a town. And that is why, in a August 1990 poll conducted by the Canadian federal government, they found that farmers were uncertain and depressed about their vocation. Oh, Aqualad. And uh, did not want their children to follow in their footsteps as farmers because they thought they would all be in terrible danger from Aqualad. Oh, man. So in this rare instance, bad job, Aqualad. But on the plus side, Michael Chang did win the Canada Open. Well, that's good. Yeah. And that is what Aqualad was probably up to in August of 1990. That album is great, by the way. Gosh, I haven't listened to it in its entirety for a long, long time. I would recommend it. There's a song where he tells a story working in the names of as many breakfast cereals as he can. (laughs) That sounds fun. Pretty good. Mildly homophobic. Mm. That's not great. But uh, overall, good song. Okay. Well, Corey... Thank you so much for joining us for this issue. Had a lovely time talking with you. And uh, I think we might be able to talk in person next week. So that would be nice. Mm -hmm. We'll see what we could do. May not work out in terms of scheduling, but uh, I think we might be able to get you in the comic book room. And if we can, it'll be nice to see you. If not, it'll be nice to talk to you again regardless. Likewise. If you would like to talk to us, you can get into touch with us at ttwasteland at gmail.com or tighten up the defense P.O. Box 20311 Portland, Oregon 97294. I'm also up on the socials media. You can check me out there. Haven't been as active on that lately, but uh, you can still find me occasionally saying a thing on the socials media. So you can try to find me on the Twitter, the Tumblr, the Facebook, seacaptainsonly.com, of course. LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn, GeoCities, probably, MySpace. Nope. Is MySpace, does that exist? Didn't Justin Timberlake buy that like a decade ago or something? I thought it was not a thing anymore. I don't know. It's probably just owned by cryptocurrency people now. That's my guess. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's a whole thing. Yeah, but we aren't on that, though. No, I was just surprised it still was around. List serve. We're probably on that. But hey, if you can't find us on a computer, there's one more place you can look. And that's deep inside your heart. Corey, what are you going to be doing in people's hearts this week? Well, now that I know MySpace is the thing again, I guess I got to get reacquainted with that. All right. Well, well, you and Tom are getting to know one another again. (laughs) I guess I'm going to be... Oh, trying to figure out what Joe Biden's doing with my hour. Let me know. Oh, 
I think he is probably just using it to make himself look taller. That guy's so tall. What? You know how tall Joe Biden is? No. Nine foot eleven. Because all the daylight savings time. Because of all the all the daylight savings hours, he's been eating them. Ah. And it uh, you know promotes rap- rapid growth. Man, what I wouldn't do to get that hour back. You know, if I had if I had that many hours, you know what I would do? You would be so tall. Yeah, I would slam dunk a basketball. That's got to feel pretty good. Yeah, I've never done that. I haven't done a regulation hoop. Yeah. Yeah, there is like a six foot hoop. I slam dunked on that. I felt pretty good. Nice. I think maybe even an eight foot hoop. I could probably slam dunk on an eight foot hoop. Oh, yeah, I totally could. Oh, you could put a always with a, a trampoline under it. I don't have access to trampoline money. Not Mr. Jupiter over here. No, that's true. Well, you got trampoline money you're walking around with, Corey? I bet if we went on Craigslist and pooled our resources, we could get a very small trampoline to do some basketball dunking with. But that's going to make too much noise in people's hearts. Let's just okay. chill out. I'm going to do my MySpace. You do your Joe Biden research. <laughs> Corey, how fun would it be to roll up to <laughs> to a pickup basketball game with a trampoline? <laughs> It'd be more fun for you than for me because you also have some understanding of the mechanics of the game and ability to control the ball. I I don't have either of those. Yeah, but you know what you do have? A sense of humor. A trampoline. Oh, that's true. Okay, so we've got a number of shenanigans we'll probably be up to in your heart. Sorry about the noise, but you know what? A noisy heart is a happy heart, as every (laughs) physician will tell you. If you would like to support the show monetarily, why on earth wouldn't you? Uh, you can find us at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do, you get access to a whole bunch of bonus material. There is the Patreon-exclusive podcast, What the Duck, a podcast most foul but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. New episode of that should be going up pretty soon. There is also a lot of other stuff up there. A whole bunch of little videos, reviews of classic comic books that I've made and some other videos and podcasts as well. I just did one about the comic book Falling in Love number 118, which uh, has an adventure taking place at the Woodstock Music Festival. That's a lot of fun. It's a fun romance comic. Beautiful art. So you can check that out on Patreon. And as I said, there's a bunch of other stuff up there that is there to thank our donors for uh, making it possible for us to keep doing the show. So if you donate, thank you so much. Corey, if people would like to show support for the show in a non-monetary way, uh, what would you recommend they do? I would recommend they either uh, talk to somebody about the show in an encouraging way and uh, leave a review. Hmm, that sounds like a good idea. Well, what's the thing people could say to someone if they were going to recommend the show in person? Hey, are you looking for great tips about stock market investing? Hmm. Do you want to learn how to buy real estate with no money down? You know I do. Me too. But in the meantime, I suggest you check out this comic book podcast. It'll make you feel good. Oh, Corey, you did a switcheroo. Uh-huh. What? 
Yeah, I have a slide whistle. Is that the, that's a honest to goodness slide whistle? That's is and that's going to be the uh, official switcheroo sound for the show. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's the noise of when somebody does a switcheroo, Corey. You know what that means? <laughs> <sighs> what a funny thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the other side of that is you can also, as Corey mentioned, leave us a review in a place where a review can be left. We have gotten a few now reviews that say even Doug Flutie was surprised at what they had done. Five stars. And uh, those uh, continue to delight me. So say something else if you want. Or if you can't think of anything, just say that. It's like my grandma always taught me. If you can't think of anything nice to say, say even Doug Flutie was surprised at what they had done. Five stars. Oh, boy. Well, there you have it. Until next week. <laughs> See, I pulled a switcheroo because you thought I was going to say words. But uh, I uh, played yeah. the old slide whistle instead. But you're saying words now. Oh, a double switcheroo. Uh, bye. Bye. <laughs> and they knew it. And they knew it. Let's go. This comic book opens with a surprisingly erotic scene what did you think of that yeah i thought oh i'm surprised (laughs) it looks like um yeah it's you know like uh the i guess it's he's looking in a mirror and sarah is kissing his solar plexus but it it's it looks really like like a they're playing with pornographic like uh how do you say that like you know what i mean it, it looks like it's headed that direction i i'm i'm sorry cory i've gotten better at editing but i don't think i can make that into a sentence yeah no i did a bad job <laughs> let me try again okay well, what did you think of that scene